0: Hello friends, Anne here, and this is Overcome with Auntie Ann. Each week, I sit down with a friend to hear her story of overcoming, and we talk about the good, the bad, and everything in between. Before building an international corporation, I went through my own years of defeat, despair, and depression that kept me stuck in a place of darkness. It was only when I learned to share my own story that I started to overcome my past and to find purpose in my pain. I've found incredible freedom in my life, and I'd like for you to discover it for yourself as well. Together, we can overcome. Hello, my friend, and welcome back. Thank you for joining us again on this podcast. Have you listened to the first two episodes yet? In our kickoff episode, I interview Amber Smith about her greatest struggle in life, losing her precious son tragically. Her vulnerability and raw candor is inspiring, and you can listen to that in episode one. Then in episode two, I decided to step into the interviewee hot seat and let my nephew Chantra interview me. He really has a way of bringing out different parts of my story that others don't, And I wanted to share my story with you so that you can know me more deeply and intimately as well. So today we're continuing that conversation and going into more of my story, and I hope that you enjoy it. So let's get back into that interview now.
1: So what happened that first time you were with him?
0: So then, uh, you know, the more he's talking about Jonas, the more I'm beginning to think, you know, he's probably right. Uh, I mean, I never imagined we'd ever be in this place as a couple, like we couldn't connect. And we were in a silent relationship now. You know, we talked to Luana and we we knew we wanted another child Mm -hmm. as well. And when I was seeing Pastor at that time, we had already gotten pregnant. So Angie was killed in September. And by August of the following year, Angie or Lavelle, our second, our third daughter, was born. I don't know if I I wouldn't have known that I was pregnant. Like I didn't okay. tell him I was pregnant. Okay. But looking back, I was pregnant at the time, uh, I went yeah. to see him, but but I didn't know that. Yeah. But when Pastor began to talk to me about Jonas and the more he talked, the more I began to doubt Jonas and I's relationship. Like, and I'm thinking. This this is really yeah, what am I gonna do? I'm pregnant. Uh, I mean yeah. what if we can't ever, you know, be a normal couple again, whatever. So at the very end of that session, I was starting to feel confused about everything he was saying about Jonas and starting to think that oh, okay, maybe he can meet my needs, meaning, meaning like we can get together and he could be I didn't I wouldn't have called him my counselor because I didn't know about counseling or therapist back in the day. But when I went to leave. Um, He walked me to the office door and he, he held me real long and held me real close. And then he kissed me and I was very uncomfortable with that. Now in the church, Mm -hmm. we were always giving each other hugs. It was kind of like a normal thing. When you greet somebody, you hug them and said, I love you. That was Mm -hmm. normal but appropriately. This was not appropriate. I felt like there was something here that I didn't, I was very uncomfortable. And I tried to, I remember wanting to to get kind of break loose from that. And then I remember him telling me that I cannot tell anyone about that, whatever that was, that nobody would believe me. So I really need to not tell anyone. And so I didn't know, Chantry, that at that time, I didn't understand that was the very beginning of abuse. Yeah. But I knew it was. I was uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, like, you knew it was wrong. wrong. Something was. It wrong. was wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was very uncomfortable. But I walked out of the office, and we said not to tell anybody. I'm like, well, <laughs> I mean, in my grieving state, I couldn't talk anyway. So why would I tell anyone what just happened there? But I clearly remember these there's some things I clearly remember about those early times um, as Angie's death and my early times with him and this one I clearly remember I decided I would never tell anyone because I wouldn't know how to describe it.
1: Is that why you kept it a secret?
0: Yeah, I, I, and I were felt, you scared? I mean I, no I felt I felt ashamed. and when I decided that it would be my secret, I didn't mean that yeah. to be a bad. I had to keep this a secret. When one speaks to you in anger, do not answer them again. When I felt angry, when I didn't know what to say, what would I say? So if I didn't know, I wouldn't know how to describe it. And besides, yeah. nobody would believe me. So right. I had to keep it a secret.
1: Right. Which is all things that he was telling you in that session. Absolutely. Yes, yes,
0: exactly. Yes. In that moment, I was paralyzed emotionally. Yeah. And I knew something happened inside of me. Yeah. That I was never going to be able to change. So that one secret kept me in a over six-year-long abusive relationship with him that was abusive in every way. And this man that I trusted became an evil force in my life I didn't even know existed. I had, there was no knowledge in my mind. I had never encountered this, but I stayed in that relationship for a good six years, close to seven. I always say six or seven years because I had to, I mean, that's the way I felt that I had. It's, it's like, I had no choice.
1: So how did it go from a confusing, awful kiss in his office to being raped later to then being in, being abused by this man in every way for seven years? Like what, what happened?
0: Okay. So The confusion was the comfort that I found. I felt uh, understanding that I I, I was being understood. I was heard. I was being heard. And I was under some, somehow I felt like I was understood. He then became my lifeline. Mm -hmm. Like he was the only one that I could talk to. And I remember telling him at some point that I was pregnant and he was so mad that I was having a baby. But then again, I was confused about that because that was, so what happened as a result of that comfort and that longing to be heard and understood, we continued to meet, I want to say, I I want to say regularly, maybe, I don't know, once a week or once every other week, and we would talk at his office or at a restaurant or something And as time went on, more and more, longer the longer it went, the more he was getting more and more aggressive.
1: In his language, where in his physical. Yeah,
0: in his his language and in his convincing that he's the man for me. There's no hope for Jonas. I mean, that was very clear that he was setting me up to be completely dependent on him because now I am believing. I'm now I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm pregnant and I won't be with Jonas forever. What am I going to? what's going to happen to me mm. you know and and he was making me believe that I was the only woman in his life other than his wife and he talked about how bad his wife was and that at some point we would probably run off and and get married i mean that was the that was the whole point I, i'm believing this but i'm totally confused i'm going to church every sunday i'm i'm acting like everything is okay and and then when I told him at one, one time we were having coffee and I told him I was pregnant and he was so upset, I had never seen him like angry, angry, but he was completely angry. And I was like, ne- then I was scared. I, I, I was shocked. I, I didn't know because I was happy that I was at that, at that point, I was still very excited that we're having a baby. Yeah. So it was, that, there was moments of happiness that I was having because I was pregnant and Jonas and I were talking about, it. so I felt like we were going to get back to being a normal couple one day. That's what yeah. I thought. But one day he invited me to a hotel. And I'm thinking, man, um, if if you've experienced this and you understand anyone that listens to this, that you understand the progression of things. I clearly remember that morning I was, I was scared scared to death. I'm thinking, so what is he gonna do? You know, and yet I went. So that's the point where most people would say, why, why would you meet this man in a hotel room? I I I know it's it sounds silly. It's uh, hindsight is twenty twenty and stupid. But why? You know?
1: Why? What is your response to that? Why my response to that
0: was that I was completely by now. By now, I'm totally dependent on this man, for my emotional well being for <laughs> well being for all of, all of the needs that I have emotionally because I'm able to talk to him. We had coffee yeah. together, and and yeah. he's become a very very good friend.
1: He's been grooming you. To yes, be his and, victim, and, right?
0: and Jonas knew I was meeting him for coffee and stuff. So it wasn't, eh, you know, it wasn't a secret, but it, it was becoming more and more of a secret. You know what I yeah. mean? And so when that happened, yeah, again, I'm five months pregnant. Uh, he took me in that hotel room and and he raped me.
1: And you do share a little bit about that in your book, The Secret Lies Within.
0: It took me 30 years to ever say that. Maybe 35 yeah. years. for me to ever actually say that you know because it was um it was just so terrible I mean I knew being married and I knew what good sex was like I understood that until Angie was killed then Jonas and I just drifted apart so when I was raped I was uh I was completely speechless and he left the room Mm -hmm. and left in his car
1: he left you there
0: yes I, 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 it's hard for me to even tell you what that was like, except that I knew, I knew I had crossed a line. Right. And it's all my fault. I mean, I knew at that moment I crossed over into another world that I was scared to death. I, I was, that's when I I was scared.
1: What kind of Um, things would he say to you that would keep you silent or keep you afraid and keep you under his control?
0: Well, just normal stuff like this is our secret nobody will know about this you know that you never will tell because if you do then nobody will believe you cuz i'm the pastor and he would tell me as as his spiritual as my spiritual leader that this is actually okay it's mm-hmm. okay for us to be involved in this way and mm-hmm it's so it was so confusing and all the while i knew i knew it's not okay i mean if it's okay why did i have to keep it a secret you know i had never really kept secrets in in those kind of things i I don't know that i ever kept a secret i kept my feelings i kept my feelings a secret you know as i mentioned earlier my sisters and i I felt rejected as a little girl so that was kind of that was a secret that i but i felt it and i I, I but I didn't want to tell anyone but I yeah. didn't know how to tell anyone. That's dumb. Why would I tell anyone how I'm feeling? So is this is all over again. I mean, it's that whole yeah. projection thing, that whole secret thing, that whole have to pretend thing all over again. I mean, now mm-hmm. by now I'm building my wall, <laughs> you know, I'm building my wall. Yes. And um and I'm going into this place of I'm alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After after that, I knew I could never be Jonas Byler's good wife again. I knew that there was no way that I could ever be back, come back into a marriage that would be healthy. I mean, I I was was so because of that, then there was no way, no place for me to go except toward him.
1: Yeah. The, the abuse was happening and I'm going to kind of fast forward a little bit, but Uh, you and your sisters and all the families, you moved to Texas with him to start another church. It was all part of a big manipulation plan, right? Yes,
0: correct. Correct.
1: So the abuse continued. What what was your life like in Texas during those years of darkness?
0: It was just hard. And it was dark. And... I I just existed. Hmm. I mean, the only time I felt okay was when I was with him. Now, Hmm. at the same time, when I was with him, I wanted to run away as fast as I could, but I couldn't run. Right. And then when I would be with my family, I wanted to be a good mom but I couldn't be a a good mom. I was emotionally absent because I'm always thinking about him and, and what he's doing to me and how I'm going to get away from him. But I know I can't. And if I can't go away with him, actually go away, get married or something, I don't know. So I'm in limbo. I can't, I, I can't go back. I can't go forward. And every day kneeling by my bed, literally, I tried to live a life that was normal, again, going to church and doing all that stuff, you know. But during that same time, my sisters and I were becoming almost estranged. Like, we were always together. We were always together. And suddenly, we moved to Texas, and they moved there as well. And we live in a small town about 20 20 minutes from the town that my two sisters lived in the same town, and I lived in another town. Again, this rejection feeling. And so that happened
1: because he told you guys to live in different towns.
0: I, you know, he found them houses to live in, but he didn't help me find a house. Okay. Yeah. So during that time, I couldn't be with them anymore. Uh, they, we were estranged. We went to church and we sang together every Sunday morning still. So there was no connection with them. And I'm almost more devastated that I can't be with my sisters, but I didn't understand why. I couldn't be a good mom. I, 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 I didn't know how to be a wife anymore. I mean, I'm cooking, I'm cleaning, I'm doing all the housewife stuff. So I'm I'm performing okay, but emotionally my thoughts are constantly how how can I change? How can I go back to the way it was? How can I move forward? Yeah. There's no way out. And every day I'd pray by my bedside and ask I would just ask Jesus to help me and to to deliver me in some way. I I don't know what deliver I don't know what it means. Yeah. I don't know what it means, but I know I can't live like this. I have to either go yeah. away with him or stay home with Jonas and the girls. But it more and more, my prayer became, deliver me from this evil that I'm in. I, I began to feel the evil and the darkness of it. That was almost unbearable.
1: He created it so that there really was no option.
0: I believe yeah. that, 100%.
1: Up to this point, you're feeling like you're the only woman. Mm-hmm. You're alone in this secret. You're being isolated from your sisters, your best friends, your husband, but it turns out that he was abusing many, many women and children in the church. So he was this force of evil in the community and getting away with it. How do you think people like him, like this perpetrator, this abuser gets away with their behavior?
0: Because they're nice guys. The evil of all of this, Chantry, is that for a very long time they they pose, particularly when this happens in the church. It happens everywhere. It happens in politics, in business, in schools, in churches, and and the best place for a perpetrator to be and to do his work is in the church, because that's the most safest place because nobody is going to believe it. So Jesus knew about this and he said. <laughs> beware, he said, because there will be wolves among you in sheep's clothing. I believe this is what he was talking about. Let me tell you, these people are wolves in sheep's clothing, and you cannot detect them. You cannot see who they are because why? They've learned to be look like a sheep. They're nice guys. They're, they can build. They're good teachers. They know how to love Families, they know how to, I mean, they know how to say all the right things and act all the right ways. I mean, they're often very well respected in the community, but at some point things begin to fall apart for them. And then when things begin to fall apart for them, then they become verbal, verbal in their lies. And I hear people today all the time, they they have one way. There's there's one way. They all use the same tactic. Always use the same strategy. They make everyone else look like a fool and they become then I cannot believe that you're blaming me for this that mm-hmm. they they become the the victim. They blame everyone else to be stupid and foolish and you can't believe them because they're actually they're crazy and and you're blaming me right. yeah, so they completely reverse the rules and they're really good at that and oftentimes. People still believe that they're the good guys. And when it comes down to it all at the end of the day, the victim becomes the one who is in question, not the perpetrator.
1: What about in your story? When did things start to unravel for him? Or I guess maybe when did you decide to leave? How did you get out?
0: So I began to sense and I began to um, like feel and I began to like see things about other women. So I began to be my own little detective. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so when I thought he might be somewhere with someone, I actually went there to see, and hmm, and then I then I confronted him about that. He said, "Oh, that wasn't that so." Wasn't you saw them. him with other women. Yes, yes, but then he then I would confront him, and then he would tell me that that wasn't them. Yeah, you know, that wasn't continued lying, and almost almost had me convinced at one point that okay, I'm just imagining this. Now I'm really crazy. Right. And then he's threatening me with like, you are the only one that I know that has such a big mouth. And he said, I never did trust you. And, but if you begin to, you know, if you tell anything right now, you have no, there's, there's no facts, there's no truth to any of this. And if you begin to tell now, Um, then he began to threaten me very subtly, like, not that he would harm me, but that he would haunt me for the rest of my life. If I would ever start talking that he would haunt me for the rest of my life. It was during the, this was probably the, maybe during the last, maybe six to eight months or so of, of my time with him. Yeah. I mean, actually my lifesaver was my own sister, um, who told me one morning in church, um, she said to me one morning, she said, and why don't you come down and have coffee with me in the morning? I'm like, I gulped a few times and I'm like, wow. Oh, okay. Well, this was because you guys
1: had been split up so much. That's
0: the first time she invited me to her house in probably six years. And so that night, Chantry, I could hardly sleep. I was so like, I'm I'm scared to death. I I know that when I get there, she's not going to be there. Like, I know that, okay, like he's going to manipulate this, but I get up that morning, take the girls to school. And I head down to her house and lo and behold, she was there. I walked in the front door and I said, what are you doing here? And she said, well, I'm not seeing the beast anymore. But we called him pastor anymore at that time. Now we call him beast, but I'm not seeing him anymore. And I'm like, what do you mean you're not seeing him anymore? Because I still was. And so her and I had this. Did you know
1: that she was seeing him before then?
0: Yes. I was suspicious at that time, just before that. Mm -hmm. And when she, so, so everything was starting to come to a head anyway. So she told me her story. Wow. How how did you do this? I mean, she said, you just gotta, you just gotta, just, just gotta walk away. I'm like, (laughs) okay. Anyway, so she became my rescue. And she said, now I know how hard this is. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make you do anything in, but just let's stay in touch. Oh man, she was my lifeline. And so for, for the next six months or so, I would, you know, her and I would talk and, and, you know, and, but she became my encourager. And uh, one day, I was like, I, I was scared to death. But I, I, I was meeting him at a restaurant, and I was nervous. I was scared. I was, I was so mad that I had been duped all these years. Like, honestly, okay, so I'm not the only woman. Wow. Okay, now I'm mad. So. That day, honestly, my anger became my slave. <laughs> I made it work for me. And I got I drove up to this restaurant and sat down and and there you and he came in and I just before I even did anything, the conversation was, well, I'm done. I'm done now. He said, You mean what do you mean you're done? And I said, I'm I'm never seeing you again. This is it. I'm this is my last time. And I got up to to leave and he pulled me back down and he said, Listen, you're not gonna make it without me. And I said, oh, yeah, I am. You wait and see. I mean, I was so mad, as mad as I could be. Remember, yeah. i am not allowed to be angry, but I was I was furious and I was felt yeah. emboldened by my anger. And he said, you'll never make it in life without me. And besides, I will haunt you for the rest of your life. And he said, and by the, by the way, he said, he pulled out his wallet and he had, I don't know how many checks in his wallet. He pulled them out and every check was made out to him. And they were all $2,000. Like there may have been eight, 10, 12. I don't know how many checks, but he kind of unfolded these checks and showed them to me. And he said, I have lots of money and we can go away together. (laughs) And I remember I laughed at him. I said, there's no way. I said, "I'm, I'm gone. I'm done. You will never see me again. And I walked out. I walked away from there shaking like a leaf, but knowing that I won the battle that day. I knew yes. I won the battle that day. And plus I could call my sister and I could tell her I did it. And I did. And we got together. and We talked. And honestly, can you do this alone as a woman that may be out there as a child, as a little girl, a young girl, or even a man or whoever, whoever you are that's enslaved in abuse. It's hard to do it alone. Uh, and I don't know if I could have done it alone uh, without my sister being my encourager, but when you can find someone that you could talk to and they can encourage you through this, you can do this.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but that was the day that I was scared to death. I was, I was so angry, but I knew I won the battle. I, yeah. I knew it. I knew it. And I knew that I would never go back to him. I knew that now the days and the weeks following that he, he haunted me and harassed me over the phone and stuff. And, like I would pick up the phone and I knew it was him on the other side, never would say anything, but he was there. He just wanted to haunt me. And he did that for weeks, uh, months. I don't know how often <laughs> once a week, twice a week. I don't know, but I was scared to death of this yeah. man. I thought even then as determined as I was, that I would never see him again. i almost believed I don't know if I almost believed or truly believed or I felt like he would hurt me or one of my kids or Jonas I honestly yeah. I was scared to death of him
1: there's so many women who are gonna be able to relate and maybe maybe it's given some of them some insight or knowledge as to I, I think I'm at the beginning stages of someone sexually mm-hmm. abusing me like leading me mm-hmm. to that or
0: yeah it can feel like an affair it, it really it's that's kind of what it feels like at the very beginning like yeah I'm having an affair. I'm committing adultery. I'm committing the the unpardonable
1: When did you, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. When did you find out and understand this was sexual abuse, not an affair? And then what is the difference? Let's spell yes. it out for them.
0: Yeah. Okay. So initially I want to say that abuse, sexual abuse is against your will. Initially. I mean, it's against your will, even though, I mean, what initially happened to me was against my will. Okay. Mm-hmm an affair is is consensual it's something that you plan or you yes i, I like this guy and we're going to get together and mm. it's it's can be it's enjoyable i mean it's not against your wishes you don't feel yes. forced into a relationship okay so we can't say that when i had an affair i was abused or it was his fault <laughs> it's not that way it didn't work that way yeah, um, I feel like sometimes people get that confused, and at the end of a a fun affair, maybe it goes, maybe it goes wrong, and then you say, "Oh, I was abused." It's that's not the way it works. So, abuse is against your will, and affair is consensual. I think most people understand that, but it can get very muddy and like it's it's it can be confusing. So, I believed it was that it was an affair all the way to the very end. And then as things fell apart at the church and as my sisters and the the ladies that were involved with him, there were four of us at that time. And we all eventually within probably, I want to say a year, year and a half, we all were able to get away from him. Like we actually all made the decision to, to leave and like, this is crazy. And so then the four of us actually all got together and then our husbands got involved because we all eventually told our husbands and that's a whole other story. But it was during that time that we kept asking the question to each other. We we would talk for hours, Chantry, for uh, a year, two years almost about this. Like it was so traumatic. And so hmm. it had involved every part of who we were. And it changed all of us from our family life, our personalized, emotionally, we were wrecked. Mm-hmm. And so now we come out of all that and now we're all feeling the women. We feel like, wow, we are, <laughs> we won the battle, but man, we were still broken yeah didn't understand that but as we began to talk as couples my jonas began to see it as as abuse we began to talk about that and we're like how could how could he do this how can this be we we just we kept saying i mean we're naive we we're we're not business women we're all moms in the church like we don't know anything but family and church so we're like how could how could he do this i mean what how could a man do? so it was it was complete and utter confusion. And we we did not put the dot, we could not connect the dots. And at one point, uh, Jonas said something about, this is pure evil. This is evil. And he said he felt like God showed him that this man is evil. He is a perpetrator, whatever feels good to his flesh. If it brings pleasure to his flesh, famed his name and puts money in his pocket, then he'll do it. He'll mm. do whatever. And this was him. That's what he did. Mm. And that was kind of, so we all looked at Jonas, we're kind of like, wow, really? I mean, is he that bad? Well, so the more we talked, the more we understood what, what's going on. But I blame myself for having an affair for many, many years until that was in 1982 that I told Jonas. And I went to see a counselor, Dr. Richard Dobbins, in 1996, 40, 15 years later, whatever. Yeah. I sat down in his office and I told him my story for the first time from start to finish, thought I was going to have a heart attack when I started talking about all this, even though I talked to my husband and my sisters and we, the four of us had talked about it in, in depth 15 years earlier. And that day he told me, he said, Ann, what happened to you should never have happened. It's called abuse of spiritual power. It's called sexual abuse. This is not your fault." So, almost 15 years later, somebody told me it was not my fault. Even though I, I began to understand a little bit more about what happened to me earlier, yeah. a few years but I was still blaming me. I, I still truly felt like it was my fault, like I was having an affair. And when he told me that, he began, to, I I knew, Chandra, when he told me that, something in my heart just opened up, and I knew it was true, but I didn't understand and then he explained to me what sexual abuse was all about, what predators do, and it all began to just make sense to me. And that was the beginning of my freedom and, and his help, his the work that we did together as a therapist with him. He, he just helped me to understand what yeah. happened to me. And I began to come out of all of the pain, blame, and shame. And at some point, he was the one that really helped me overcome uh, and understand truth. And that's yeah. when the freedom began for me.
1: That's amazing. You were actually touched on a little bit of your healing and redemptive process because you you shared about how you as the women who were abused got together and talked through it. And then mm-hmm. as couples, you talked through it and you you just worked through it together. And then years later, you were working with a therapist and a counselor, I want you to just share because it's such a pivotal moment for you and it's kind of the catalyst for why you do what you do to help women. The moment you told Jonas what was happening with the beast and why that moment changed you forever.
0: Well, you really never know when you when you choose to make when you choose to keep a secret, it's a choice that you make. It's it's a it's a choice that I made. But I didn't know the far, the far, how devastating the far-reaching effects of that would be. I, I had no way of knowing what one little secret, one secret. I didn't know that it would hold me captive to nearly 25 years of abuse. I mean, um, of mild to severe depression. I had no idea that, that mm. it could impact me in that way. But I also didn't know when I told Jonas uh, at the very, when I, when I, after I met with your mom and we talked for a while and I was able to say no to the beast and I was starting to feel free. I mean, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Okay. I, I won the battle. I mean, I survived. I did it all by myself, me and Jesus and Phi. like I'm, I'm home free now. I mean, it was, I can't explain to you. It was like, I'm done now. I couldn't believe I survived that. And here I am. And I'm starting to feel, and I'm starting to be a better mom. I'm starting to be more intentional. I'm being a better wife. And, and Jonas and I are, you know, we're starting to, talk a little bit more. And, but it t- it still took me six months to actually tell him what had happened in my life. And I keep thinking, I really should tell Jonas and, and your mom and I would talk about it. And I just didn't, you know, but the pastor still at the church. And I just, I Were had you still going a, to the church? Yes. 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 Okay. I'm still going to the church. So when it all fell apart at the church, that's when it's like God just really, you know, said to me, "Get up off your knees and go tell Jonas the truth about what's happening because the rumors are starting to fly out the church. is starting to fall apart." I did not want to tell Jonas because I'm, I'm not seeing this guy for six months. I'm free. I'm like, it's okay. I mean, even though he's still haunting me a little bit and there's things going on, I'm still struggling some. But man, I, I am done. It's in my past. Hallelujah, I'm done. <laughs> and God's saying, "You got to, you got to tell Jonas." And I'm like, "Wow." I uh, didn't want to. Uh, scared again scared to death i knew that i believed all the lies because when you're in when you're confused and you're deceived let me tell you one thing (laughs) you really don't believe truth it's it's almost impossible when you're in this dark place you just believe all the lies and one of the biggest lies was that if i tell jonas he would divorce me. I mean, of course he's going to, there's no choice for him. He has to divorce me. I still believe in it. it wasn't fair. Anyway. Um, so that morning, as I, I finally got the courage, I weighed 90 pounds at that time. There was nothing inside of me that was feeling like I had nothing left to give. I'm a wreck. I'm a wrecked person. And now I have to tell Jonas and my family's going to, he's going to divorce me. I still wanted to be family, but I found the courage I gathered every little bit of courage that I had. I did what I felt like I had to do, and I went and told Jonas. There was only two lines that I said to him that morning because I walked up to his uh, office and and I just simply confessed to him. One line was, You, you know, you heard about what's happened at the church and the pastor and all the women, and he shook his head, you know, sort of like that. And and I'm looking at him, and, and I said, Well, I'm one of those women. And he just looked at me and then all I said was I'm sorry and I'm a sorry person and the look in his eyes was enough to let me know I can't I can't say anymore I don't want to talk about this I can't give him a hug I I mean he was devastated and I turned and I walked away The power of confession, chantry, that's why I speak about that with such passion, because we 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 cannot imagine what it's like in after you've lived in this place of darkness, in this evil place for years, some women, some people, a lifetime nearly, yeah. little girls that's all they've known, young girls in relationships that are abusive for years. So we cannot know that there's another life available. I mean, we don't even, can't imagine that. So in that moment, when I told Jonas and I turned and walked away, I knew that the look in his eyes told me that, yes, he he will divorce me. So I go home to my house and I'm anxious about it and I'm worried and I'm thinking, What's he going to do? So I tried to call him a number of times. He didn't answer his phone that day. And now I'm worried. I'm thinking, I, I thought he might, maybe he's, maybe he hurt himself or maybe, I don't know, because I never saw that look on his face. And around maybe 4.35 o'clock that day, I hear his um, truck coming in the little driveway. And I mean, I'm just so nervous. And he comes in the door. I, I can't remember exactly if he immediately said something to me or not, I don't, I don't know, but I wanted it to be a normal day. I didn't want to have to deal with this. You know, I just wanted to, I wanted to, I just wanted to live life. I didn't want him to talk about this because I knew it was going to pull me down. And I had already decided that if he makes me feel guilty or he blames me for anything, or if he, yeah, if he makes me feel guilty, I, that was carrying, my whole body was wrecked, wrecked with guilt which was of my own doing I had decided that if he makes me feel bad or guilty, I'm going to have to leave. I can't, I, I can't take that pressure. And so when he came home, the girls were outside playing at the time. And then he just said to me, "Hun, we need to talk. And I just said, we do about what? <laughs> um um I'm done. I mean, I said what I mm. need to say, Chantry, what else is there to say? Right. And he said, well, I mean, you know, about, about what you told me this morning that scared me. And I just kind of like, I just went into this, this, I, I mean, I just like panicked, not, not, in front, not, not visibly, but I was just, I didn't know what he was going to say. He said, but we, we we don't want to talk about it now. We'll talk about when the girls are in bed tonight. Wow. That meant I had from then to eight o'clock to wait. So we did dinner and we had a normal, you know, dinner together and whatever. That was like, I don't remember. <laughs> Put the girls to bed, but all the time, my belly is, my belly is in knots. It had been in knots for seven years. Like that's, that's just where you go. That's where all of your emotions go. They they all cram right into your stomach. Finally, the girls were in bed. There was nothing going on in the house, and I'm in the kitchen. He comes over to the kitchen, and he just said, "Hun." So we're standing face to face now, and I hadn't cried all day because I mean, what's there to cry about? It's I'm done now. (laughs) He's I'm done. I was nervous and afraid, but I wasn't crying because I was. I was too afraid. I just knew what he was going to say. And he said, Hun, you know, I want you to be happy. And I know you haven't been happy. I thought it was because Angie was killed. At that moment, I just was like, Wow, what is so I was so nervous. And he was talking very quietly and very slow, slowly. And I and he said, But just promise me one thing. And I started crying. And I said, Hun. I, don't, I can't make any promises. I've broken every promise that I've ever made to you. And I just started weeping because I knew what was coming. So he said, well, I want you to be happy. So just promise me that you won't leave a note on the dresser and leave me in the middle of the night. But he said, and then he stopped. And I said, okay, I, I promise I can do that. And then he said, and if you leave, I want you to let me know that you want to go. We were just kids, Chantry. I was probably 33 and he was 35. We were just young. We didn't Mm -hmm. know anything. Mm -hmm. So this this moment was so emotionally charged. And yet there he stands. He just gotten this devastating news about his wife. And he tells me that I want you to tell me if you need to go. And then we'll, we'll find a place for you. I'll help you find a house and then I'll help you pack. We'll, we'll do, we'll do this together. You don't need to do this alone. I just remember just starting to, I was just crying because that's the first I cried all day. I'm like, I cannot believe he's saying this to me. And then he started crying. He said, and you know, if you go, you have to take the girls with you. Because they need their mom. And I'm like, wow, here I am. I don't believe in myself. I'm completely lost. Mm. I don't even know who I am. I've been a terrible mom. I haven't been a mean mama. I haven't been a mean wife. I did all of this silently, gentry. I was just quiet. And he wants me to take the girls with me. He thinks I'm good enough to be their mom. Well, I can only tell you that That was the moment when something happened in my belly. That was the first moment, just a teeny tiny spark. It was the first moment that I felt hope in seven years. like maybe maybe somebody does actually love me. Maybe he actually loves me. And if he does, that means I can that means that maybe. Maybe we can stay together and we can still be family. Yeah. Because that's still all I wanted. There's so much about this part of the story, Chandra, that's really hard for me to articulate it because it's so deep and it's so, it's so miraculous. It's such a spiritual kind of God love that I really didn't know anything about. But unfolding, it unfolded in this way, which was completely unbelievable. I mean, I'm still a wreck. I lost myself, weigh 90 pounds. I have no self-respect. I have no self-esteem. I don't believe in me. I hate me. I'm unforgivable. I'm unlovable and and I'm unchangeable. And my husband is telling me that my daughters, my two little girls need me. That was the moment that changed my future. But it all started with the heart, with the heart confession that I didn't want to do because I knew the end of that was disaster.
1: And it wasn't disaster. So (laughs) tell the person listening what you say about the outcome of their confession.
0: You know, I talk so much about. The verse, very small verse in the Bible that says, James 5, 16, that says, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another, and you'll be healed. I have to tell you, back in 1982, when this was happening, that concept was foreign to me. So it's not like I read this verse and got up from my knees and said, oh, okay, I got to tell Jonas what's going on in my life. It wasn't that Methodical. It was mm-hmm. okay. So from 1982 to now, I have learned this concept, and I've found it in James five sixteen. And when I found that verse, I'm like, Oh my goodness, this is not talking about talking to Jesus every day on your by your bedside, bawling your eyes out, saying, Jesus, please help me, because He did help me. He He kept me. But this is this is a verse that means I take responsibility. When I began to understand that powerful concept, the one to another confession, it just began to pique my interest. And I just began to try to understand what that means because it starts with a confession. Mm -hmm. And you may be sitting, or you may be sitting somewhere listening to this, and you may say to yourself, wow, okay, I know I need to tell somebody something. And you're saying, but there is no way I can do this. I'm saying, yes, there is a way. And the concept of confession is not about, okay, if I tell my husband that I was having an affair or it doesn't, it's not just about that. This has been my life. So there are many things that we do that hurt each other. We hurt our spouses, our children. There are many things that we need to be open and honest about. And so I will tell women, they will say to me, I I can't tell. I I, I don't know how I can't. I I don't know. And I say, well, you know, the concept of confession is not about predicting an outcome. It's about setting yourself free. It's being responsible for your actions. (laughs) So if you decide, or I should say, when you decide to make a hard confession, You cannot predict the outcome. Mm -hmm. In other Mm -hmm. words, you could say, well, if I tell my husband about this, and then if he forgives me and says, I'm sorry, and we could just get on with life, well, that'd be great. But it's not about that at all. It's about setting yourself free and freeing yourself.
1: That's what happened
0: to me that day, as I told my husband, and I could never have imagined that just as one secret kept me in bondage kept me had long lasting negative impact on my life. This one confession that I made to my husband has had a long lasting positive impact on my life. And it's unbelievable what happened in that moment, which I didn't know, but that's when the seed was planted and God began to redeem my life, my marriage, my family. And we had no idea at that time, but Auntie Anne's was a part of that redemption, redemptive plan that began to take place that moment.
1: I love that. You know, we tell every guest that you've interviewed for your podcast so far that we come with a plan, but we are we believe and we trust that wherever the conversation goes, that's where it was meant to go. So I came with a plan for this interview and we didn't even reach part two, which is the whole redemptive process and building oh. any ends and the struggles that you faced. But you know what? This conversation was exactly what it needed to, be, needed to be. And I believe that. And we say that to all of the people you interview. So I think this is a good spot to. To end, I want to ask a couple questions just to give, and I'm going to do a little quick recap just to give the redemption. But how long have you and Jonas been married now?
0: It will be 53 years in September.
1: 53 years in September as of recording this podcast episode. That's amazing. And he is your best friend.
0: Mm, Yes, absolutely. My best friend. If I would have made that one good passion chantry, I cannot imagine where I'd be. And we are happily married. We have four grandchildren, four grandkids. They're all grown now. I mean, 24 and 21, 17 and 14,
1: 15. Yeah. You went on to build the world's largest international pretzel franchise with no business plan, no formal education, and no money. Capital. You moved, (laughs) you did move back from Texas to Pennsylvania with $25 cash in your pocket and a big old dream in Jonas's heart, which led you down that path. But that's another story for another day. Yes. If you could go back to any part of your life and just whisper one thing, what would you say and, and what what part of life would you go back to?
0: I guess I would say to her, enjoy the good times, expect the bad times, and know, little Anne, that no matter what happens to you, God himself will never leave you. Know that he has never walked away from you. Hope in him, trust in him, keep your faith in the one who's created you, the one who knows you, the one who is well able to see you through every hardship in life. And at the end of the rainbow, you're going to see him and know him in a way that you would never have dreamed possible. That's what I would tell little Anne.
1: Well, thanks, Annie. And thanks for letting me interview you.
0: Well, thanks, Jen, for listening to the hard parts of my story. And at the end of the day, I want the listeners to um to just hear the amazing redemption, the miracles, mm-hmm. and the life of joy that I'm living today. Whew. <sighs> I made it through that interview. I really hope that you heard my heart. And I hope more than that that you heard hope and that you were encouraged today, wherever you find yourself in life right now, I want you to know that it's not over for you. There's always tomorrow. Be strong, be brave, and be courageous. And I want to remind you, our listeners, that you can overcome any obstacle if you're willing to be vulnerable, confess to a friend, and trust the process. You have a story, and your story matters. And until next time, thanks for listening and keep overcoming. Thanks for listening to Overcome with Auntie Ann. I hope that you feel inspired, encouraged, and know that you are not alone. If you like the episode, please leave us a review and share it with your friends. You can find me on Instagram at Auntie Ann B. or Facebook. Until next time, choose well and choose to overcome.